Hi, I'm Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to welcome you as you join First Baptist Watauga in listening to these messages. Whether you're listening uh, on an audio podcast or you're watching on our Facebook page or on YouTube, we're glad that you've joined us. Our heart and desire is that through these messages, you might continue to grow in your faith. We're a church that's committed to God's Word and uh, simply proclaiming the truth of what He says. And so as you join us, I hope that you grow and that you flourish in your faith. I'd also encourage you to make sure that you're plugged into a local body of believers. If you're here in Watauga, we'd love to meet you, that you could join in with us. If you're outside of Watauga, I'd encourage you to find that body of Christ that you can get plugged into. There's nothing that that can substitute for that local uh, relationship as you join with others in worship of our holy God. So welcome. We're glad that you're here to listen and join in. If you would need prayer or you need to be encouraged in some other way, I encourage you to uh, just simply uh, email us, uh, contact us through Facebook, and we'd love to get back with you as soon as we could. God bless you as you listen to God's Word. Man, it is good to be here to worship today. I, uh, I want to take just a moment to uh, say thank you to, to the praise team, to Matthew. Uh, that's a brand new song for me, and I hope that it's not the last time I get to hear it. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate so much about the, the leadership as Matthew leads us in worship as a young man, I mean, I, I feel like he's my kid. In fact, he's younger than some of my kids, uh, is, is just his desire to bring biblical theologically sound worship. Whether it's a new song or an old song, it doesn't matter. It's not about the style as much as it is about the truth of God's Word. And man, the truth expressed in that song. You know, Isaiah tells us, and and, you know, I like, I love the old songs. But Isaiah 42, there's a, a song of praise where Isaiah says, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise down from the ends of the earth. You'll go down to the sea with all that fills it, the coast and the islands with your inhabitants. Let the desert and the cities shout. The settlements where Kedar dwells cry out loud. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coast and inlands. God is, is calling us regularly to worship him and to praise him. And to sing unto him a new song that comes out of our heart. It's a new song rooted in that old gospel truth, though. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion. I've had some discussion with folks about this recently. We don't change the message. The gospel, his word is the same, even though we worship him in new ways. Uh, You know, I am grateful for new ways. Uh, My ancestors did not even have air conditioning when they worshiped God. And I am grateful that God's given us air conditioning. So we praise Him. Uh, and I am grateful for a new song that blessed my heart today. I want to just to, to thank you uh, before I get into the message. This Sunday is one of the Sundays where I get to stand in the pulpit and just brag about how proud I am of First Baptist Church Watauga. Uh, yesterday, there were... Uh, over a hundred, about a hundred and twenty, hundred nineteen children served through sharing Christmas, and over thirty-one families. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord with that. 
We work together uh, in conjunction with First United Methodist Church and with El Buen Samaritano. In fact, uh, I was able to go out on three deliveries yesterday, and all three deliveries I went out on, I went with Spanish speakers from El Buen. And uh, on, on the, the third of those three deliveries, uh, I was with a couple from El Buen that I know because I've seen them. I just I don't know them personally, but Merced and her husband, and uh, was able to witness uh, Watch her lead a, a junior in high school from Haltom High to Christ yesterday. So, <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, you know, uh, many of you know that this week uh, our, our pastor from El Buen, our sister church, Elias Valerio, passed away, and we held his uh, uh, memorial service, a celebration of his life here in this auditorium. And as I was speaking with his wife earlier in the week, making plans for that service, uh, we were struggling with the date because we had a couple days here where the auditorium was tied up. And I told her, I said, you know, Carmen, we can use, if you want to do the service on Saturday, we can do it later in the day on Saturday, probably at 2 or 3 o'clock. That would give, give us time to, after we deliver the gifts. And I said, you remember, we have the gifts to deliver. She goes, oh, I remember. She said, I'll be there Saturday morning. And I said, Carmen, even if you plan on doing the service at 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon, you're still going to come deliver gifts? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't miss it. And uh, what an incredible blessing uh, that was to my heart and a reminder of what's most important. Uh, in light of that, tonight, we have our fellowship dinner. We've asked uh, for several people to share testimonies of what God's done in your life this year. And I've, we've had a few of y'all that have responded. Some of you have written out things that you're going to share. Uh, I took it upon myself to go to Carmen because there's something that she shared with me on Monday. And uh, I went to her and I said, Carmen, would you be willing to share that testimony with our church tonight to get it kicked off? So if, if you are at all able, you don't want to miss the holiday dinner and the share time tonight. It's going to get started at, at uh, 6 o'clock with Carmen sharing one of her testimonies of her faith. And your heart will be blessed by it. Uh, in fact, I've had requests to record it so that we can uh, get that to those who aren't able to be here tonight. And then one last thing. One of our families, uh, one of the, the teams that went out received a card from a family yesterday. And it's signed by the seven-year-old and the four-year-old. This is what was written inside the card uh, from the parents. It's been a rough few months for our family. We're so thankful for your help. It means the world to us that our boys will still have a Christmas after everything. We hope you have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks for everything. The Hoyt family. So God is using you to make a difference. And I am grateful uh, for the way that the Lord uses this church. Not just at Christmas time. I said this is one of those two Sundays when I really get to brag on the church. The other one's after that back to school rally. To see how God brings this church together to serve the community. It's not just those events. Many of you know that every week we pack backpacks filled with snacks that we take to the schools for children that wouldn't have anything to eat over the weekends if uh, they didn't receive those backpacks. And there's a lot of other ministries like that, and I'm grateful. Let me lead us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to start. Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you that, uh, that you've given me the privilege to pastor a church who loves you and has your heart and desires to share your goodness and your love, and most importantly, the gospel of your grace with the families here in Watauga and beyond. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak this morning, use the time that we have as we study your word together to bring it to life. Help us to, uh, 
to be touched and to be challenged. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The miracles of God are unceasing and beyond our imagination. Recently, one of a, uh, an old friend, uh, he's actually had preached at our, in my church in May, uh, Dr. Frank Harbor, has kind of gotten on Facebook and he started posting all of these things about uh, kind of rebuttals to those who, who would not believe in God, who were, who were atheists. And, and uh, there's a lot of those things. One of them he posted this week had to do with the complexity of the cell. And, and, dis- and it talked about all of the different systems of the cell that all had to be working at, at the same time for life to exist. Just this morning in our growth group, we had a... Uh, uh, in our prayer request time, one of the men was talking about his father who's very ill and his body's retaining a lot of fluid. And he talked about one particular protein that is in our cells that, that helps our cells keep fluid in so that they, they retain fluid when they're supposed to. But because the, the, his liver is not working right, that protein is not being cleared. And so he has an abundance of this protein. So his cells are retaining fluid. And he's becoming very bloated, his legs and his body. And as I thought of that, I thought that's the one, one protein out of the hundreds of proteins that our body, uh, different types of proteins that our body can use, one protein malfunction can cause such disruption to our bodies. In fact, ultimately result in death if you're not able to deal with the consequences of that. And, and as, I, as we sh- he shared that and we prayed for him this morning, I was simply reminded of the complexity of life and, and that life in itself is a miracle that comes from the life giver. We would not exist outside of an incredible creator who who has put all of this uh, complex body together so that we can breathe, so that we can have life, so that as I exhale, something has happened where taken place, these chemical reactions in my lungs that, that have taken certain types of toxic chemicals out of, my, out of the blood that is processed through my lungs, that has gone through, through my body and has pulled those, those chemicals out of the cells, and I expel them as I breathe out, and then as I breathe in, other chemicals are brought into my body, and, and, and they're, they're, they're somehow uh, become in, enter my bloodstream, and, and, and oxygen then is able to, to give power and strength to those cells, and and that's just one of many systems. Life in itself is a miracle of God. And so today, when we look at one of these prophecies that really is, most would say is the greatest miracle of of the Christmas story, is the birth of Jesus from a virgin, the virgin birth. And, and we even have Christians who, who try to explain it away and, and, and theologians who, who cast doubt on, on the reality of the virgin birth. But in all honesty, when I step back and look at the complexity of life, the fact that God placed in Mary his son with the work of his very spirit is really not much more of a miracle than the birth of any child on any given day. And we can describe the biological process of how a child is born, but how life comes and the complexity of life is so beyond us that ultimately the miracles of God are so abundant that that they become every day and every place for us so that when one like this comes along, it stands out. Today we're going to look at that prediction. The prediction of Christ's birth is found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And we're simply going to 
there's one verse there that we want to look at, and then we're going we're to look at a lot of text in the New Testament about the significance of that and the meaning of that. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Scripture says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. See, a virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. The birth of Jesus through the Virgin Mary was predicted hundreds of years, around 800 years before Jesus was born. The the virgin birth itself is miraculous enough. The prediction that it was going to happen hundreds of years before is even more miraculous in our minds. And yet, why is it that Jesus, why is it that we have this prediction? The scripture tells us why. You have this prediction. The virgin birth was predicted by Isaiah so that you would know. Yes, the virgin birth is real. Yes, the virgin birth is historical. And yes, the virgin birth matters. And one of the reasons that that it was predicted 800 years before was so that when this person was born, when this human being who was the son of God stepped on the scene of this earth, we would recognize that he came in a way that was unique and different than every other human being in history. He was born of a virgin. No one else can claim that. Only Jesus. He was born of a virgin so that we would know. Now, the world certainly, I'm sure, scoffed at Mary and scoffed at Joseph. Sure, yeah. Yeah, really, you're a virgin, Mary? We can tell you're not. Come on. We know better than that. We know how things work. And yet, what I want to do as we look at this is this, this passage is quoted twice in the New Testament. It's quoted both times when uh, Joseph receives the news through a dream, and then when Mary receives the news uh, through the angel Gabriel. In both of these cases, as you can imagine, if there was anybody on earth that was surprised by the fact that Mary was about to have a child, the first person who was most surprised was Mary herself. But beyond that, Joseph was surprised as well because he, he knew Mary. He knew her character. He, he was betrothed to be married to her. So read with me the, these two. I, w- I want to read both of these, and we're just going to th- focus on one main point out of each one. The, hey, I'll tell you, the temptation, I love these stories of how Joseph received the news, how he responded, how Mary received the news, and how she responded. And there's a lot of sermons in both of those. I am purposely constraining myself today. To focus on a couple points, one from each one. So the, the, in Luke, I am sorry, in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin with Joseph's dream. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The scripture says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, Because he will save his people from their sins. 
Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Joseph, in this dream, uh, Joseph learns about uh, what's about to happen. Uh, He learns how it fulfills. Now, he had found out that Mary was pregnant. And when he finds out Mary's pregnant, Joseph, of course, being a righteous man, doesn't want to marry a woman who is unrighteous, and yet he, he doesn't want to abuse her in some way. He doesn't want her to be harmed. In fact, in that culture, a woman who's betrothed to a man who, who winds up, comes out to be pregnant, could ultimately be stoned. And she, she could be killed for her indiscretion. And Joseph, not wanting to do that because he cared for Mary, decided that he was going to put her away secretly, divorce her secretly. For us, that's that's kind of strange because when we think of Joseph's betrothal to Mary, we think of it as an engagement time, like our engagement time, where you're not truly married until you stand at the altar or or and and you make the promise or you sign the the uh, the marriage certificate. the marriage license, but in their day, in Joseph's day, and in their culture, once they were betrothed, they were legally connected, and they could only be separated by divorce. Even though they had not celebrated the marriage uh, and had the, the marriage union yet, the wedding day hadn't come, and the wedding night hadn't come yet, and yet they were still legally bound together, and so for him to separate from her, it was going to require a divorce. But Joseph, and I want you to to learn something here, because we learn something about the character of Joseph in both places. First, we learn something about the character of Joseph and why God chose him to be the stepdad, (laughs) Jesus' earthly father, in that Joseph loved Mary and didn't want to disgrace her. He had every right to. In his pride and in his brokenness and in his, his broken, you know, his manhood, he could have said, she deserves punishment. She deserves whatever she gets. But because of his love for her and in his humility, he simply chose to separate from her quietly. And then we learn even more about Joseph's character when he has this dream. And in the dream... He receives this message from the Lord. An angel appears in his dream and tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Now, I love what the angel does here in the dream. Because the angel doesn't just tell him what's happening. The angel points to God's word. The angel says, Joseph, I want you to look back at the prophet Isaiah. And this was predicted a long time ago that a virgin was going to become pregnant. And a virgin was going to give birth to a son. And so Joseph had to make a decision, of course. Joseph had to, had to look into his own heart, into his own life, in his own personal relationship with the God he worshipped. And then he was challenged by the question, 
do I really believe this? Do I really believe that God's word could be fleshing itself out right now in my life? Something written 800 years ago, is that really what I'm going to have to live out? And Joseph made a decision to, to believe Mary, to believe the word of God, and to believe the word of that angel and move forward. And so in Joseph, we see a man who not only was a righteous man who, who desired the very best for Mary, but a man who was willing to walk by faith. You know, I think one of the great lessons that you and I can take away from this is to learn to be like Joseph and not make rash decisions based on what we first see, but learn to seek God, look into his word, and walk by faith. Joseph, Joseph's character came out to the forefront when he went through the difficult challenges that he had to face, these difficult questions that he had to answer. That's when we find out who Joseph really was. He was a man of God who sought to follow God's will. And you think Joseph had those thoughts? Man, my, my friends ain't going to believe this. My buddies, the, the other carpenters, they're going to think I'm crazy. They wouldn't put up with a woman who looks like she cheated on them. And if I start telling them that an angel appeared to me and told me all this, I don't know if they're going to believe me. But none of that mattered. Joseph simply accepted the message that he'd received, accepted the word of God as truth, and staked his life and his reputation on what he believes God's word was telling him. And if we would take that step to regardless of what people around us think, regardless of what the world thinks, regardless of the pressure that may be put on us from the outside or even from the inside of our own heads, and we make a decision that I'm going to stake my life on what the Lord is showing me and on what his word says, then we'll move forward in faith as Joseph did. If Joseph was surprised to hear that, Mary was even more surprised Joseph may think, oh, there's no way that, that, that this could happen. You know, what? I don't think that Mary could have done anything wrong, but man, it sure looks like it's starting to show. Mary knows. Mary knew better. She knew where she had been. And so when the angel appears to her, she certainly was shocked. Look at Luke chapter 1. And we're going to begin Luke 1 in verse 26. The scripture here says, in the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have had no sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. 
And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. I've mentioned this many times over the last 15 years. It's the 15th Christmas that I've been here as your pastor. And and if you've been around those years, you'll recognize that this is probably my favorite Christmas verse. Mary has just received an incredibly disrupting (laughs) message from the Lord. At this point, Mary doesn't know she's pregnant. When we read Joseph, Joseph knew Mary was pregnant already. He was dealing with it when the the angel came and spoke to him in a dream. Mary doesn't know it yet. In in fact, Mary may not be pregnant yet because the angel says the, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so, Mary is being prepared by the angel when the angel appears to her and and gives her this news. And and Mary, of course, is troubled by it. And and even in the short amount of time, who knows how much she was able to process all the implications this was going to have for her. You know, ultimately, she ended up leaving town and she went to live with her her cousin Elizabeth, uh, who was pregnant with, with John the Baptist. And I imagine that had a lot to do with how she was being treated in that town and how she was being seen in that town. But Mary had to have known at her age it, as a woman in her culture who was betrothed to a man who, who, who didn't know, she had to have all kinds of questions. What's Joseph going to have to say about this? What's he going to think? What's going to happen to my relationship with him? What's going to happen to my hopes and my dreams for the future? What are my, how are my parents going to respond? Certainly she had to have been raised by, by godly, righteous parents. What, what, what are my friends going to think? What's the society going to do with me? I show up pregnant and I'm not married. And yet after she received the the word from the angel, her response is priceless. If we could only have this response when the Lord speaks to us and calls us to serve him. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. I am the Lord's servant. I don't belong to myself. My hopes, my dreams don't belong to me. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. I'm your servant. I belong to you. So, Lord, may you do with me whatever you desire. If we will come to the Lord with that heart, The Lord will be able to use us to accomplish incredible deeds for him. It's not about me. I'm the Lord's servant. And once again, in this short period of time, I don't imagine that she had worked through all of the scenarios and all of the struggles and all of the pain and all of the suffering that she was going to face. She simply had a heart that was open to God. You know, I think back in some of the decisions that the Lord called me to make, difficult decisions in my life, that one of the very first ones was as a young man when I sensed him calling me to the ministry. And I, I struggled with that for months, for about six months after I, I I'd sensed his call on my life. And one of the issues for me had to do with this very thing. I, I had hopes and dreams and plans. I, 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 I knew what I wanted to do. I knew how I wanted to make money. I, 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 I had dreams for life, and yet... I felt like that to surrender 
in, back in that day, it was often spoken of surrendering to the call of ministry. For me to surrender to that call that I sensed God had put on my life meant giving up all of my dreams and all of my plans and all of my hopes. And ultimately, that's what it was. The Lord took me a completely different direction than where I might have gone. I never regret it. But Mary was at a point where she simply said, I'm yours. It's not about me. Lord, I'm your servant. You do with me as you please. That's hard. Because we don't know where God may call us. We don't know what he might please. Back in that day as a 16, 17-year-old young man, I, I had these visions of God taking me somewhere off in the bush country of Africa, and I was going to live in a dung hut and preach to the natives, and my life was going to be on the line. I was going to be running from, from people who wanted to kill me all the time. It's not a whole lot unlike the pastorate in America, but it is different than the pastorate in America. I say that jokingly, but, but honestly, when I, when, I made that, when I came to the Lord and said, Lord, here I'm, your, I'm yours, do with me as you please, I had no idea where he would lead me. Now, the Lord has blessed me. He's poured out his favor upon me. He's given me a wonderful family. He's, he's allowed me to pastor two wonderful, godly churches who seek to serve him. And so, yes, I've been blessed and I've been spoiled. Mary was blessed too. Mary got to see her child grow up sinless. I've had four children. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> Nobody does. No, none, none of us know what that's like. Mary, got to, Mary had the perfect son. Now, of course, probably because she had the perfect son, it made the others a lot more jealous. Oh, yeah, that Jesus, he's always doing things right. Mama keeps comparing me to Jesus every time. I can't, I can't do anything. Jesus, you know, Jesus went through that school up there at the synagogue, and now they just expect me to be like him. You know, Mary had her trials, but she also had her blessings. And, and that's really the bottom line. When we choose to just lay our lives out and say, Lord, you do with me as, as you please, the Lord will love you and bless you and guide you and give you joy and peace that's beyond anything that anyone else in this world can understand. And you'll have your trials and you'll have, you'll have your blessings. The one thing that you'll have that others won't is the very presence of God guiding you through it every moment. And that's the greatest blessing that Mary would have had because she was obedient to do what the Lord called her to do. And then I want to take just a moment to look at the significance of the virgin birth. Does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? Absolutely. First and foremost, and I didn't include this as one of the points because to me it's just obvious. Jesus had to be born of a virgin because it was predicted in the Old Testament. And God always keeps his word. God told Isaiah to, to preach this, that I'm going to send uh, uh, my spirit into a, 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 the virgin, and she is going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. And so it had to happen that way, because God predicted. And when God says he's going to do something, he fulfills his purpose. He is the God who keeps his promises. But second, it was significant because the virgin birth truly helps us understand and represents that God himself is with us. Look with me at the Gospel of John, verse 1 and verse 14. We're not going to read the whole section. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the, in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, and in the promise from the, the, in the dream that Joseph received, and the promise from the angel uh, Gabriel that Mary received, in each of those cases, the promise was this, that he is going to represent Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew word that means God with us. Now, you may get confused every once in a while. You'll see that written as Emmanuel with an E. It's the same word. Uh, the Hebrew uh, really would, would lean toward being transliterated with an I when it was Romanized, so to speak, uh, in, in the New Testament era. Oftentimes you see that word written with an E, but it's the exact same word. Emmanuel means God with us. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I've spent a lot of time on this a couple weeks, so I don't want to beat the truth to death. But Jesus was God before he entered the womb of Mary. Jesus was God, Jesus is God, and Jesus always will be God. Jesus was God from the very beginning of the beginnings, if you believe that there is a beginning with God. The truth is, God exists before the beginning. Jesus is God. And so when he entered into the womb of Mary, it truly was the Word of God, God himself becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And and there's no other way that happens outside of the virgin birth of Jesus. He enters into the womb. God enters into the womb of Mary and is born unto us. And so Jesus, from before the womb, while he was in the womb, and in the manger, is God. When he was seven years old and he was walking around with his friends, Jesus was God. When Jesus began his ministry and, and, and he goes to be baptized by John the Baptist and, and John the Baptist lowers him into the water and raises him up and the voice speaks from heaven and the Spirit of God descends like a dove. Jesus was God. That's why the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And when Jesus went to the garden and he prayed on our behalf that we would be unified as his disciples. He was God praying for us. When Jesus went to the cross and he stretched out his arms and the spikes were driven into his wrist and into his feet, he was God dying on the cross for us. When he was laid in the grave and a couple days later rose up out of the tomb, he was God victorious over death. On our behalf. You hear that all of, uh, it seems like each one of those little, little pieces of the story from, from the, the manger to the resurrection, it seems like it was all for us. It was. Jesus says the reason I came is to seek and save those who are lost. He didn't do it because he wanted to come have a good time walking around on earth. He didn't do it because he wanted to come show how tough he was. He could take the nails. Jesus died for us. He was born and he died because he loved us. And so God stepping out of heaven, humbling himself to to take on the form of a human and to to walk among us as, as both God and human and then to die on our behalf was for us. The incarnation 
Emmanuel, Jesus on earth, from the, the manger to the resurrection to his ascension was for us because he loves us. Why one of the the favorite verses of all time is, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It was for us. The significance of the virgin birth was that God came to be with us. Second significance of the virgin birth was was that Jesus was sinless. He did not take on a sin nature. He wasn't born of the seed of Adam, implanted in the woman. He was born from the seed of God, placed in that special womb of Mary. Jesus' nature, by his very nature, was without sin. So you see in Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to begin with verse 25. I think I've just given you verse 26 and 27 on the screen. It says, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted among the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as as high priests do. First for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. Jesus did not need to, to offer a sacrifice for his sins because he was sinless. From his very nature, from his birth, he was sinless. And all through his life, he was sinless. And yes, the virgin birth mattered that he was born without sin. He was born without a sin nature like every single one of us is born with a sin nature, Jesus was born without a sin nature. Because he was born of a virgin, he did not carry that blight of sin on his soul like we carry on ours from the very beginning of our conception. Jesus was born of a virgin with a sinless nature. So yes, the virgin birth matters. And then finally... He did that so that he could become the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 and 15 says this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered him without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Because a death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus was born of a virgin without sin so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Jesus, the Son of God, who existed from forever, from the, before the beginning of time, who existed outside of the universe, Hebrews tells us. He was above the universe. Entered into this world and entered into the womb of Mary. God with us. Without a sin nature. Perfect. Holy. Pure. Innocent. Undefiled. Separate from us in that way. And that he was different because he had no sin. And then went to the cross 
and took our sin upon him and died for us. He was born of a virgin so that he could bear our sin in his perfect, innocent, pure body. So he paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. There was a little ditty that we sang a lot when I first came to faith in Christ. It was popular back in the early 80s. And it, it was a simple chorus that said, he, he paid a debt he could not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. Jesus, through his blood, paid the debt for my sin that I could not pay. He didn't owe it, but he paid it for me. He could not have, have paid that debt in full if he had not been born sinless, completely without sin, born of the Virgin Mary. So when we celebrate Christmas, and we celebrate even that little, that detail of Christmas, that Jesus was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. He was born of a virgin for a purpose, so that he could pay the price for your sin and my sin, and it matters today. Yes, the virgin birth matters, because without it, we would not have hope of forgiveness and eternal life. If you have never put your full faith in that hope, and you've put your trust in Jesus for your sin, asked him to cleanse you of your sin and to take your sin upon him, I'm pleading with you to, to do that, to make that decision. Give him your life. Come, come and say, Lord, I, I am broken and I need you to cleanse me of my sin so that I can be a child of yours and I can follow you. If you have never done that, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Today, we're going to have a time of response here in just a few moments. And I'd love to talk to you about it. Kevin would love to talk to you about it. And we have some other folks that would love to just visit with you about what it means to put your trust in Christ. That you can receive that forgiveness for your sins as well. But let's not escape some of the other things we've learned today. As we looked at Joseph and we looked at Mary. Are you really willing to pray Mary's prayer? Are you in a position, Christian, where you're ready to say, Lord, I'm yours. Let it happen to me however you wish. Let it be done to me whatever you desire. I'm your servant. I believe that when we come to God with that heart and we give him a blank slate and allow him to write his plan and his purposes on our life, not only will his kingdom prosper, but but our lives will be transformed. That's what God's looking for from us, is someone who will come and bring that, that open heart, that blank slate, and say, Lord, I'm your servant. Do unto me whatever you please. I'm yours. Use me. Would you stand with me? Matthew's going to come and lead us in a time of response. As soon as he begins to sing, if God's calling you to come pray at the altar or make some type of public commitment, I, I plead with you, do it quickly. It may be that God's called you to, to find out what it means to become a part of this church body. You know that God's calling you to this church, and, and you want to get plugged in and, and, and serve and, and be a part of what God's doing here. And, and you'd like to talk to me or, or Kevin or one of our counselors about that. We'd love to visit with you about that. But this, this time of response is an opportunity for you to respond to the Spirit of God who's spoken to you from His Word. So if you sense that tug on your heart, maybe you just need to come pray. You come now and come pray.